The debt hasn't gone. So you feel that debt weighing you down as you walk in some kind of freedom from that college. That is not how the gospel works. Paul says, in Christ, the debt has been paid and you are free from the cords of bondage. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part five of Blessing God for Every Spiritual Blessing from Pastor Paul Twiss of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Pastor Paul is currently taking his congregation through the Apostle Paul's New Testament book of Ephesians each Sunday evening. Today, we're nearing the midpoint of this 11-part series from chapter one as we join our pastor on mic. Welcome, Pastor Paul. Thought you might want to comment on the fact that verses 7 through 10 makes up one of the longer sentences in Scripture. That's right, Matt. And in this sentence, the Apostle Paul offers a chorus of blessings from God to everyone who is in Christ. Notice at the top of his list is a remarkable blessing. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The cleansing power of Christ's blood shed for us is my focus today. It's a precious gift that cuts the cords of our bondage to sin. Thanks, Pastor. Always good to have you with us. And now part five of Blessing God for Every Spiritual Blessing. We are in Ephesians chapter one. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. Our text this evening is Ephesians one verses seven through 10. But as I read it, I want to begin in verse three just to set the context. So I'll begin reading Ephesians 1 verse 3 through to verse 10. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do marvel at your plan of redemption as Paul lays it out for us here, verse by verse, such rich truths for us to take in. We understand his goal is to elicit praise from our mouths towards you. That is your desire. And so we ask to that end this evening that you would so work in our hearts that we would bless you in response to the way in which you have blessed us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we chart and continue to chart Paul's journey through Ephesians 
Ephesians 1 of theological truth, as I just prayed, the goal, the overarching goal that remains is that we would bless God. That is Paul's desire to bring forth praise from the Ephesians, and it remains God's desire as this letter finds its way to us. We are to praise God, how? In response to how he has praised us. The manner in which we bless him is by knowing how he has blessed us, and the better we know it, the more accurate, the more biblical our praise will be. Our verses this evening are 7 through 10. Before we jump in, I want to speak again a little bit more about the whole passage. It is one long sentence in the original language. And to make comment just on how complex it is. Wonderfully so. There are many, many layers to this one sentence. There are many ways to think about and to approach this one sentence. None of them are wrong. All of them are valid. One thing that people often note about Paul's journey of theological truth here in Ephesians 1 is the progression, theologically, of time. So if you notice, last week we were speaking about things that happened before the foundation of the world. Before you were, God chose you. This evening we're focused perhaps more so on the immediate We will be thinking about the reality of our wisdom and insight that God has granted to us in the gospel for today. And then in just a few weeks' time, Lord willing, we will be thinking about things to come. As Paul talks about an inheritance that has been sealed for us. So there is, throughout this passage, a shifting of time. God lays out and shows us his plan for redemptive history from eternity past to eternity future. But there's another layer. There's another way to come at this text, and that would be to note its Trinitarian progression. Paul begins by speaking about God the Father. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. But as the passage moves on, the focus seems to shift more towards God the Son. And that would be where we are this evening. And then, sure enough, in a few weeks, we'll be thinking about God, the Holy Spirit. There is a Trinitarian progression in addition to working with the shift in time. And there are other layers, too. They are just two of them that I give you by way of example to show you how profound, wonderfully complex and rich is this opening to the letter to the Ephesians. With the banner that remains, how do we praise God? How is it that we bless God? Our focus tonight becomes on the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is because Paul says in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. And then he starts to unpack some truths that spill out from the reality that Jesus shed his blood so that we might be reconciled to God. So if I can recast our governing question. Tonight, we might ask, through this text, why does the blood of Christ prompt me to praise God? That's how this text comes to us, with the overarching burden that Paul gives to us, that we, as believers, should be blessing God as a way of life. Within this unit, 7 through 10, that question could get respun. How, then, is it that the blood of Jesus prompts me 
to bless God. And just as with last week, we find that there are three pertinent reasons that Paul gives for us to praise God on account of Jesus' blood. The first being because through his blood we have forgiveness. Through his blood we have forgiveness. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This morning we thought about the new covenant and one of the things I said in leading was it is a theological truth that we tend not to think about all that often. We maybe think about its constituent parts now and again, but the new covenant as a package is a truth that we tend not to to fixate on all that often to our detriment. Tonight the opposite is true. The first reality with which we're confronted in the text is the forgiveness of sins. And maybe that is the truth that we rehearse most often. As Christians, Bible-believing Christians, perhaps the truth that we rehearse most frequently is the reality that our sins have been forgiven. And therein lies a danger. When anything becomes very, very frequent... The danger is we become complacent toward it. We rehearse the reality of sins forgiven so often that it starts to lose its appeal. It no longer stirs our hearts in the way it once did when we were first saved and we learned of these truths. We no longer are found with the same joy that was brought about in us when we said, my sins have been forgiven. So how is it that as we think about the reality of sins forgiven, we might genuinely, truly find within our hearts cause to bless God in a way that is not under duress, is not reluctant, but is genuinely excited about this truth of the gospel? And the answer might be you just ponder the truth of Scripture as it is found Because what you'll notice is that there are depths to the reality of sins forgiven that perhaps you haven't considered before. Look at how Paul tells us that truth in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is the first time in Ephesians that he says this truth so overtly. I wonder if that has occurred to you. We've been here for just a handful of weeks now, but we've covered a lot of ground theologically, and yet... Thus far, Paul has not said overtly that your sins are forgiven. Now that says a lot. It says that there are many, many truths of the gospel that are leading up to and connected with the forgiveness of sins. The very fact that Paul has found cause to talk about other truths prior to mentioning the reality of the forgiveness of sins suggests there's an awful lot to unpack in any articulation of the gospel. It is a rich, rich message of which we must never grow tired. Then notice in verse 7 how he parallels the forgiveness of sins with redemption through his blood. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, comma, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So you see these two Parallel thoughts, side by side. There is no connecting conjunction. There is no relationship that he is articulating. He just states them up front, almost as if they're synonymous. 
almost as if to say, I'm stating the idea a second time. And yet, theologically, these two ideas are not synonymous. They don't map onto each other exactly. There is a difference between the redemption that we have through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so when you notice these grammatical relationships in an epistle like Ephesians, you are then bound to ask the question, so what is the relationship? This is the hard work of Bible study. And it's good for you to ponder these things. The text is asking for you to probe such relationships. What is the relationship between the redemption that we have through Christ's blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses? When we read redemption, it has in view release from captivity. It's what that word means. You've been released from bondage. And here, the bondage that is in view is our bondage to sin. It is a bondage which you did not have the power to release yourself from. You did not have the strength to cut the cords of sin that were wrapped around you. And neither did you have the inclination. That is why we have to have redemption through his blood. You see, that phrase is so important because if it's not there, we would be prone to attribute our redemption to us. But what Paul says is the redemption we have comes only through the blood of Christ. Nowhere else. The payment had to be a blood payment for our lives. It had to be another life. But it had to be a life that was perfect. And so we are released from the bondage to sin through his blood. Now just ponder that for a moment. We could in theory, argue that our redemption does not necessarily pay our debt. The cords of bondage have been loosed. We've been set free. The reality is, new covenant realities, we rehearsed this this morning, the reality is we now no longer need to sin. We're no longer in bondage to sin. We're no longer dominated by sin. Do we sin? Yes. But we're not overpowered by sin. We are free from bondage. But what about the debt that we owe for our many, many, many sins prior to the moment of our release? And so what Paul does is he complements this truth. It is not synonymous. It is a complement. Redemption through his blood. You have been set free. No longer in bondage to sin. And by the way, that blood also accomplished for you a payment for your previous sins. Both are true in Christ. The cross secured for you a redemption, a loosing of the cords of sin wrapped around you, and a payment. So now the slate is clean. This is why in John's gospel we read that Jesus came to set us free indeed. It is freedom of the utmost sort. You are free from your bondage to sin and you have no debt to pay. Christians are those who are free indeed. This is the opposite of being a student. What do I mean by that? You enroll in a college and you pay thousands upon thousands upon thousands for some education. And then, a few months in, you realize that you are in bondage. 
You're in bondage to books and to exams and to tests and to quizzes and to assignments. And the course of study goes on for maybe three or four years. And by the end, when you finally graduate, it is, in a very real sense, deliverance. I'm no longer in bondage to those books and those exams. But you still have a debt to pay. The debt hasn't gone. So you feel that debt weighing you down as you walk in some kind of freedom from that college. That is not how the gospel works. Paul says, in Christ, the debt has been paid and you are free from the cords of bondage. Both are true. They are wonderfully true at the cross of Jesus Christ through his blood. I think about this morning and the the peculiar nature of new covenant realities. Let me just add another one in there. Christians are those who think a lot about someone's blood. For good reason, as you meditate upon the blood of Jesus Christ, the praise that elicits from your heart and governs your steps and your thoughts and your words ought to be praise that is found living out a life of obedience. It is that simple. What does the praise look like that Paul has in mind as he says to us, Jesus' blood has made you free indeed? Answer that you would be found not sinning. That's it. That's a life of praise. If you want to praise the Father for your salvation and praise the Son for his death on the cross and praise the Holy Spirit for dwelling in you, live a life of obedience. Don't pursue a sin. I found this week as I was, I've been moving many books these last few weeks from one office to another and from our home and many, many boxes still in the garage and unpacking them and bringing them into my office. I found a book. It's a pamphlet. It's not even a book. It can't be called a book. It's a few pages. And it was published many, many years ago by the Banner of Truth. And the pamphlet is called A Principled Life of Obedience. And I I smiled when I found it because for years... I used to carry that pamphlet around in my Bible. And the author explains that as a Christian, you have a desire to honor God. As a Christian, you have the ability now to honor God. But, and this is his main point in that short pamphlet, the mechanism of obedience has not changed. You have a desire to honor God. You have an ability to honor God, but you have to obey Undoubtedly, I've never met the author. I don't know who he is. I would love to ask him, what prompted you to write this? And I am almost certain he was writing it in response to some wayward Christian thinking that if you just do nothing, you will be found in obedience. It's not true. If you do nothing, the flesh will win. The principled life of obedience is that which God calls you to when he saves you. You have a desire to obey and you have the ability to obey. Now put your feet in the path of obedience. Work and strive with all that you have to live a life of praise to God in obedience to his word. Why? Because by his blood you have the forgiveness of sins. Second truth, how does the blood of Christ prompt us to praise God? Second truth, it gives to us wisdom. 
The blood of Christ gives to us wisdom. The thought continues now into verse 8. He lavished upon us the riches of his grace. End of verse 7. He lavished upon us the riches of his grace in all wisdom and insight. Now that phrase there, in all wisdom and insight, raises its own questions. Whose wisdom and insight is in view? Some would suggest it is God's. God, in his wisdom and insight, lavished upon us grace. Certainly, it is true that God is the source of all wisdom and all insight, and he is all-wise and all-knowing. That is true. But in this context, most likely, Paul has in mind wisdom and insight that has been given to us. We're in view as God lavished upon us the riches of his grace, and that grace came to us with wisdom and insight as its accompaniment. We inherited, as we received salvation in the gospel, we inherited wisdom and insight. We suddenly understood how the world works. As God saved us, our eyes were finally opened to the way in which life is supposed to be lived. When God saves you, he doesn't merely wipe the slate clean of your sins, past, present, and future, but he also equips you to live a God-honoring life with wisdom and insight. Now you see the sense of what God has ordained in his word, that it is good and right for us to live in accordance with it. Prior to your salvation, you did not see these things. Prior to your salvation, if your way aligned with God's way, it was merely coincidental. Because what was true is that you were always justifying your own paths. Unbelievers will always justify their own paths as the very best way. They will reason, it is the very best way that I get a divorce. I am persuaded that the wisest thing to do right now is to have an abortion. I am persuaded that right now, though God's word might say this, I'm actually going to run a course completely in the opposite direction, and I believe it to be best. That is the way of the unbeliever. When you are reconciled to God through Christ, now you see the way the world is supposed to work. Now you see why his way is best. Everything falls into place. Previously... You thought you could break God's law. Here's a precept ordained by God, and I'm actually, I'm smarter than him, and so I'm going to work against it, and I'll choose to break God's law. What you didn't realize is that you can't break God's law. It will break you. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. In part five today, Pastor Paul calls attention to the many spiritual blessings Ephesian believers were offered when becoming part of God's kingdom. One of the most gracious gifts to a saved person is the power from Christ's blood shed for sinners on his cross. Here's a clear statement our pastor left with us, quote, you did not have the strength nor inclination to cut the cords of sin that were wrapped around you. That is why we have to have the redemption through his blood, end quote. Have you grown weary of sin's bondage that won't let you go? If you'd like to hear more and learn more, there's teaching on our website. It's free for the listening, timelesstruthtoday.org. 
timelesstruthtoday.org, select Broadcasts, and there you'll find an archive of Pastor Paul's teachings on many gospel subjects. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. While you're on the website, timelesstruthtoday.org, will you consider making a gift toward this outreach ministry? You'll be part of spreading the good news of Jesus through these programs. Select Donate on the homepage to make your gift of any size. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. It's part six in our continuing series, Blessing God for Every Spiritual Blessing. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.